me and my wife, we were having altitude sickness, resting, drinking cocoa tea, and my kids were like bouncing around like, when can we go out, daddy? When can we go explore? I'm like, hey, kids, we just need to recover from this altitude sickness and then we'll explore. The Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, episode 312. The official phone number for Canada is really easy to remember. It's one 800 Oh, Canada. Can I speak to Mr. Trudeau, please? While I certainly don't have as much experience as today's guest when it comes to traveling with kids, I have taken one trip already with our newborn son, Whitaker, and I can say that it is a dramatically different experience when it comes to traveling with kids. For example, I spent a lot more time at Walmart buying diapers and formula than I ever had previously on any of my other trips combined. But the one constant that is going to stay with me, no matter whether I'm traveling with kids, whether I'm traveling on my own, whether it's Heather and I, it doesn't matter, is that I will still continue to travel in just a carry-on backpack. Now, our little guy, Wit, he might have more luggage with car seats and strollers, but for me, I'll be traveling with just a carry-on backpack, and that backpack will be the Tortuga backpacks. So if you want to check out all the Tortuga backpacks that they have from the set out version to the outbreaker, everything in between, you can do that by going over to tortugabackpacks.com using the promo code EPOP. That'll get you 10% off your entire order, no matter what backpack you decide is right for you. Hello, travel nerds, and welcome to the Extra Pack of Peanuts Travel Podcast, the show that teaches you how to travel more while spending less. I'm your host, Travis Sherry, and joining me today is someone who somehow owns one of the simplest domain names on the internet, who is currently on a world tour with his family in five, and who organized one of the largest marriage proposals in Vancouver history, complete with a flash mob, Ricky Shetty, founder of DaddyBlogger.com. Ricky, thanks for joining me today, and welcome. Hey, Travis, I'm such a big fan of yours and a fan of your podcast. So now it's such an honor to be on it. And I know you're about to be a dad as well. So super excited that you took time out of your busy schedule to interview me just before you enter this new realm of fatherhood. Uh, Yes, this is very apropos for me as I'm sitting here and Ricky and I are chatting. I could be having my first child at any moment. Hopefully we're able to get through the podcast here before it happens. But perfect timing to, to finally get you on the show, Ricky. And I do love that daddyblogger.com like nowadays in 20 in 2017 you know you'd have to buy something like daddyblogger.io or daddyblogger.co or or you know i'm the daddyblogger.com or something but you just have daddyblogger.com so just fill us in when did you start that because to get a domain name like that you know you had to have a little bit of lead time there yeah, it's actually a funny story, and I'm glad we started off this way. So uh, I actually started my blog five years ago on December 1st, 2012, and I started it as daddyblogger.ca because I'm actually from Vancouver, BC, Canada, and the Canadian domains are the .cas, and I had that for a whole year. And about like uh, about midway through the year of my first year of blogging, I got an email saying, hey, we see that you have daddyblogger.ca. Would you be interested in purchasing daddyblogger.com? And I'm like, of course, I would love it. I tried to get that in the first place, but it was taken. So uh, when I got this email, I responded saying, yes, I would be interested. And then they told me it's going to be 3000 US dollars. And I'm like, well, you know, I'm just a starter blogger, making a little bit of coin here and there. And I'm doing it for the love of fatherhood and parenting and inspiring other dads. Would you be able to uh, do it a little bit cheaper, like about a hundred bucks? And the guy's like, "No, sorry, uh, the cheapest we can do is like a, a couple thousand. So I was like, "Okay, uh, don't worry about it." And then I got an email about a month later saying, "Okay, uh, we can uh, we we can actually lower the price down to about a thousand US." I'm like, "No, still, I you know I'm kind of in a budget, so I, I'll up it to about two hundred. And then the guy's like, "No, sorry, you can't do it." And then I got another email about another month later, and then he's like, "Okay, we're selling these domains." Uh, it's at the end of the calendar month, and I'm uh, I'm willing to do it lower. 
So I was like, okay, my bottom price is 300 US. Uh, if you can do it, let's do it. And he re- responds back and he says, yes, let's do it, 300 bucks. So I actually got daddyblogger.com for 300 US. So it's a kind of a little funny story, uh, but I switched over to daddyblogger.ca. I still have that one for my Canadian fans and followers and network. But uh, yeah, daddyblogger.com is definitely a great domain name. You know, uh, when, I, when I recommend to people uh, to get a domain name, I always recommend a .com. I suggest maybe two or three words. Definitely don't put numbers or dashes on there. Uh, simpler the better. So having a two-word domain name has helped me enormously in terms of Google ranking, SEO, getting sponsors, getting traffic. So I highly recommend the domain name. And it's a cool little funny story of how I got the domain name myself. Yeah, $300 and a lot of persistence. It definitely paid off because, yeah, you've got this easy, simple domain name. No one's going to misspell it. No one's going to mess it up. It's daddybogger.com. And in today's episode, guys, we're going to talk a a lot about what Ricky's doing. Obviously, he is a daddy blogger. He's a daddy traveler. So we're going to talk about the logistics of his daddy blogger world tour, which he's currently on, the planning, the prep, everything that went into that. We're also going to get some sage advice on what it's like to travel with kids, especially little kids, and and whether you want to do short-term or long-term travel. Ricky's done both, so he's got us covered there. And we'll hear some of his best travel tips and and mishaps, of course. Ricky, I want to kind of back it up and start at the beginning a little bit and go with like the backbone of everything that you're doing, which is this idea of travel. And your main point is to like try to get dads to figure, you know, to see that they can travel and inspire them to travel and things like that. When did the love of travel really take hold for you? Because you did a lot of traveling even before the family as well. Yeah, absolutely. So between like zero when I was born to like my university years, I didn't travel a lot. My parents had, uh, you know, like traveled in Canada, the U.S., did a lot of road trips in uh, the Pacific Northwest where we were living. Uh, And then my background's Indian, so we had gone there. But I'd only been to three countries by the time I was in my early 20s. And now I'm not at three, I'm at 73. Uh, We're actually recording here in San Pedro de Atacama in the Chilean, northern Chile. We just arrived last night from Bolivia. So uh, now, I'm at, now I'm at country number 73. So how did I go from three countries at 20 to now 73 countries at 40? So uh, let me walk you through a little bit of that journey. So um, I started similarly to you, Travis. I actually taught English in Japan. Uh, I know you taught English as well in your early uh, career. Uh, so I, ta- I taught English in Japan. I traveled around Asia. Um, and then I also did a working holiday in London, traveled around Europe, and then I actually based myself at Sydney and traveled around Australia. So I was uh, in my 20s, I was, I was following a technique or a strategy called the working holiday strategy. And uh, a lot of people still do it as long as you're under 35. Uh, it depends on which country you're based from and you, you know what passport you have. But you can do working holidays around the world. And uh, it pretty much means you can work while traveling. And usually it's, uh, it's about one year to two years. So I ended up doing um, Europe, Asia, Australia, New Zealand, um, uh, that part of the world as a backpacker, as a working holiday, working, traveling, working, traveling. But it was unfortunately a very broken model because you'd work, save up money and travel, run out of money and then go back home, live with your parents and then work, save up money, travel. And then, you know, it's it's very much a broken cycle. And nowadays with the power of the Internet, uh, you know, like uh, as you do and as I do, we can work while traveling. And I think that's a very much a better working model. Um, so I done Europe, I done Asia, I done Australia, and um, uh, after Australia, I actually came back to Canada. I'd run out of money, and I was living with my parents, uh, pretty much broke. I, 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 was, I was trying to figure out what I want to do. I tried, uh, started my entrepreneur journey, and then around that time is when I actually met my lovely wife Anne, and we were dating for about a year. And then uh, you mentioned the whole flash mob proposal, and that's maybe a foreshadowing of our travels because I did actually propose in a crowded airport in uh, YVR, uh, Vancouver Airport. And uh, she had gone back to uh, the Philippines where she's from, came back and did this big epic flash mob proposal. It made the front page of the Vancouver province, made all the major media coverage across Canada, even some in the U.S. And, um, uh, and then, uh, you know, we did the typical thing that uh, people do when they get married. Uh, you know, we dated, we got engaged, we got married, uh, we bought a house and then uh, we started having kids, you know, kid number one, kid number two, kid number three. And then uh, I felt uh, depressed, honestly, Travis. I felt I, I was living in the suburb and I was happy. I mean, I, I had a great life. I had a great wife. I had a great uh, uh, three kids. But I was living this domesticated, suburbanized life. And I was taking my kids back and forth from school. I was, do, I was running an event production business. So I'd be running conferences and all. But I was yearning and desiring this, uh, this uh, travel. And for five years, uh, from like marriage to kid number uh, three, we didn't do much travel. We just done road trips and all. So... 
I knew that if I didn't travel, I would just stay as a depressed dad. So I talked to my wife. I was like, hey, you know, uh, can we figure out a way to travel? And she's like, well, oh, we have three kids. Um, and actually, this was uh, right around the time we were having a third kid. So we made a decision when we had kid number three to take my wife's maternity leave, which is in Canada, for those of you listening who don't know. In Canada, one of the beautiful things about Canadian is you get a one-year paid maternity leave. I repeat, one-year paid maternity leave. So uh, my wife and me, we made a decision, okay, like since she's on math leave, and I was working online anyway, so I was able to uh, leave and not uh, you know, um, lose a lot of my revenue and clients. So I ended up uh, you know, uh, convincing my wife to actually take this one year and uh, yeah, we, we've been traveling uh, around the world for the last 10 months, and uh, uh, we've been loving it. So as I mentioned, we're in country number 73 right now and traveling around the world with my wife and uh, three kids. So that's a little bit of the backstory. I went from being a domesticated dad to becoming a digital nomad dad. You know, you brought it up to your wife. How did that go right in the beginning? Was she on board right away? Like, yeah, Ricky, this sounds great. Or was it like, we, you're crazy, man. Like, this is, this is insane that we're going to have our third kid and you just want us to up and go. Yeah, it was definitely the you're crazy, Ricky uh, option. <laughs> no, uh, it took her a while to actually convince her. I mean, she obviously knew my travel journeys before and she knew I had a love of travel. Herself, uh, she had actually immigrated from the Philippines to Canada. So that alone is an amazing story. Uh, she hadn't done a lot of international travel as much as me. Um, but because we had had kid number one and two, kid number three is easier. And I know, Travis, you're just about to have your first. And obviously with kid number one, it's always the hardest because you have no idea what to expect. You have all these fears and uh, yeah, you're just kind of like getting the mindset of being a parent. So if I had done this with kid number one, she would probably have said no, 100%, no way. But because we'd had kid number one, felt a lot more comfortable. Kid number two, okay, we're like, okay, we can do this. Kid number three is like, okay, this is easy, right? So uh, she was much more willing to do it by kid number three. Uh, so I'm glad I didn't uh, try to do this at, kid, at the first kid. Uh, but yeah, it definitely took uh, some convincing. And, uh, you know, we, we, we decided to do it as like a, a trial. A lot of people who up and go, they do it as a trial, like the one-year trial, see how it goes. If you like it, we can uh, keep going. If we don't, we can come back. And, you know, I obviously said that, you know, if we don't like this at any point, we can come back. If there's any health issues or the kids don't like it, uh, we can come back. But, you know, uh, we've been doing this for 10 months and uh, we've been loving it. So it did take a while to convince. And, you know, I'll tell you a little bit of connection between you and me. When we were doing a little road trips, uh, I actually uh, was listening to a lot of podcasts, including yours truly, the Extra Pack of Peanuts podcast. And my wife and me must have listened to about 30 or 40 episodes of yours just when we did road trips around. So uh, my daughters actually memorized the Extra Pack of Peanuts song. And, uh, you know, uh, listening to podcasts, uh, the other uh, thing we did, Travis, was talk to other traveling families. And we interviewed them. We just uh, discussed how it was like, what are the challenges, what are the struggles, what are the blessings, what are the, the good and bad things, right? So um, listening to podcasts, uh, reading blog posts, talking to people, uh, that all helped. And uh, doing little trials, you know, doing little trials around our province to, if we can do something easier, we can definitely do something much harder like what we're doing now. So those are some of the, the strategies that helped us to start prepare for a trip. Yeah, I think that's great advice, just kind of figuring out what it is like without actually going and doing it, you know, by doing like tiny little trials, like you mentioned, and also doing stuff like interviewing other people so that it isn't this big, scary thing. You're, you're like, hey, well, I'm hearing from them. I know them because, you know, they're friends of ours or this or that, and they're telling me they did this. And, you know, it's it's just helps set everyone's mind at ease. And maybe you and I don't need that as much as other people because we're just ready to up and go and do whatever we want. But it's nice to for other people to have kind of their mind set at ease a little bit by doing things like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like at the end of the day, every every individual is different. Some people are more adventurous, risk takers. Some people are more cautious. They love the safety and security. So you got to just figure, and especially if you're a partners traveling, usually both partners, if you're husband and wife or boyfriend or girlfriend, you're not going to be the exact same personality. You're going to have different styles of travel, different personality styles. So you got to just make sure it works for both of you. And, um, you know, my wife's much more of a slow traveler. I'm more of a fast traveler. So we've done a little bit of both in the travel. So, yeah, you definitely have to figure out what works for both of you and make sure that both people are happy. Because if one, pe one person is not happy in the relationship or in the travels, then it's going to affect the whole travel itself. So, yeah, we, we, we figured out a way to make it work for ourselves so far. For sure. What did you do with the possessions and things like that that you had at home? Because you mentioned, hey, we're just planning on doing this as a one, you know, as a one 
year trial and we'll see where it goes. What did you do with all the stuff that you had at home? Because it's not like, well, I don't know. I don't assume that you sold it all and then you said, hey, it's only going to be a trial and then we'll come back when you have new stuff. So how did you work out those logistics? Yeah, like uh, we did actually uh, end up selling our place. We, this was actually a, de- a decision we had to make. And a lot of people have this dilemma too. Uh, at the end of the day, we can always buy a property in the future. Uh, but because, uh, you know, like uh, part of it was financing the trip, right? So we needed the finances. And for me, I was looking at relocating and my wife's like, okay, if we find a place like that was that's part of the journey we're on now to figure out whether we want to settle in place or just kind of maybe spend six months to a year in place and travel. So, um I mean, it's a dilemma that you have to face as a as a listener here. Like, uh, what do you have to do with the house, right? So we ended up selling a house and a car and uh, like uh, our gadgets and all that, and it actually helped free us. It was actually quite liberating Uh, for any of you who have purged or got rid of stuff. It's actually quite freeing. Uh, It's difficult because you're emotionally attached to a lot of stuff, and we kept the important stuff like the wedding album and the kids' mementos and uh, the, the souvenirs and a lot of that stuff. So it's actually currently at my mom's place. Uh, and it's uh, being uh, stored there in uh, in um, storage. So yeah, we ended up uh, getting rid of most of the stuff. And uh, at the end of the day, if we need more stuff, we can buy it. But these experiences we're having now, they, it's much harder to recreate experiences. Much easier to uh, rebuy stuff. So we're glad we made the cho- choice to uh, focus on experiences and uh, you know like the, this journey, these memories, rather than the actual materialism. That right now it's actually not very important to us whatsoever. Yeah, I couldn't have said it better myself. How did you decide where to go on this on this trip? Yeah, great question, Travis. So uh, what we made a decision to do is to travel to places neither my wife or me had been to. Uh, so as I mentioned earlier in the interview, I'd already been to about 50 countries pre-marriage. And now we've been to about 20 plus countries on this trip. So uh, we made a decision to travel to places we hadn't been to. Uh, the ex- only exception was that was uh, the Philippines because my wife's uh, parents were celebrating the, her 50th wedding anniversary. So uh, my wife's like, okay, as long as we can go to the Philippines and as long as we can go see my sister in Dubai, uh, you, you, you can make the rest of the choices so she yourself. Gets, so she gets to pick two. You get to pick like 25. <laughs> that's, a, that's not a bad trade-off, man. I there think you, you won that one. It's a perfect balance. <laughs> yeah. No, she is, uh, like she's... Uh, uh, very willing uh, and I'm very blessed to have an amazing wife who's supportive and she was letting me do kind of uh, because of my travel experience and uh, uh, you know kind of like the the background I had she was like okay I trust you with this part of the travel journey because you've done a lot of it and you obviously know more about safety and where to stay and uh, what's uh, to, good to see etc so she let me do most of the trip planning um, and um, because she hadn't been to those places too like uh, is new for her um, so we chose to go with the Philippines first, celebrate her um, her parents' 50th wedding anniversary. It was amazing. We went to Hong Kong because we wanted to uh, appease the kids' desire to go to Disneyland. They'd never been to Disneyland, so we went to go to Hong Kong Disneyland. And uh, actually, it ended up being that I'm be- I've been to every Disneyland in the world except for Shanghai. So I've been to L.A. Disneyland, uh, Florida Disney World, Paris Disney, uh, you know, Tokyo Disney, and then uh, now uh, Hong Kong Disney. So once I do Shanghai... I'll have ticked off all the Disney. You, you got to get sponsored by to- Disney, man. You got to get sponsored by Disney yeah. here. Uh, yeah, and uh, the Disney's actually quite good with sponsorships and with travel bloggers. They do give admissions and hotel stays, etc. Uh, so from Hong Kong, we actually went to Dubai, and this is where we stayed with my wife's sister, had an amazing time in Dubai, one of the most beautiful c- cities in the world. And uh, I turned 40 this year, as I mentioned. So uh, for uh, my 40th birthday, uh, my wife actually turned um, uh, 32, and she got to celebrate with the sister in Dubai. And for me, one of my bucket list items was to do an animal safari in South Africa. So I got to do that for my 40th birthday. I was actually in Kruger National Park in the midst of a safari. It was amazing. I was actually in tears when the cake came out, and uh, it was such a powerful moment. And then we actually did a uh, focus on South South America. Uh, so we started South America in April of uh, 2017 here, and we've been doing every country in South America. Uh, we started off in Brazil, in Sao Paulo, then we went all the way up the east coast to, uh, of Brazil. Then we went to French Guiana, Suriname, Guyana. Uh, then we hopped away to Trinidad, and then we went to Panama, into Colombia, from Colombia into Venezuela, uh, then into Ecuador, Peru, and then from Peru into Bolivia, and then from Bolivia as of last night into Chile, and then from Chile we're heading to Argentina and Uruguay. And then uh, by the end of this year, we'll have done every country in South America. So there's 13 total countries, and we've been to 12. Chile is a 12th country in South America, and once we do Uruguay, we'll have done all 13. Um, so one of our big goals is to do every country in the world, and we want to be the first family 
to be uh, to travel around the world. And uh, as far as I know, the youngest person who's been to every country has only been like in their early 20s. And our kids, I didn't mention, but our, our daughter's five. Her name's Rianne. Our son is three. His name's Ryan. And our little guy, Renzo, is one. And uh, our kids have already been like, uh, I've been to 73 countries and my kids have been to 20 plus countries. So I would love to be the first family to visit every country in the world. And, you know, since my kids are like five and under, we still have a long way to go uh, in terms of both the number of countries, but also in terms of the age. So we have the luxury of having a lot of years to complete this big, hairy, audacious goal. At first, when I was kind of thinking about it, I was like really shy. I was like, should I talk about it? You know, it's really scary. But I, I started just making it public on my blog, on my social media. And people are like, well, that's an amazing goal. You know, like we'd love to. Uh, people have already been inspired, obviously, by Australia or in the world. But now having this big, crazy, hairy, audacious goal ups the ante. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm trying to get sponsors for that. And uh, I haven't made it super public in terms of the sponsorship element, but that's one of my big goals is to try to get as much of that trip sponsored as possible. Well, you've got some time with Renza. You're setting this kid up to, to possibly make a make a pretty good dent in being that youngest person in every country. It'd be tough for someone to catch him, right? I mean, he's won. He's gone to 20-some countries at this point. So, And so on this trip... Like, was everything planned out before you left? How much of it was left up to this spontaneous type of thing? And how much was it of, all right, well, we know on whatever, August 15th, we're flying here. And we know on September 1st, we're flying here. And here's where we're staying. How much planning versus how much spontaneity? Yeah, I would say the overall trip in terms of kind of like the itinerary of where we're going was more or less planned. But uh, the dates, the time frame, that was all left to chance. Um, you know, obviously, like based on the country size, how much we liked it, those wall factors, like a place like Brazil, it's massive, right? So it takes a longer time to get through it. A small country such as like French Guiana, Suriname, Guyana, you can uh, uh, go through those quite quickly. So it depended on a few factors. And obviously, if we like the country, like uh, we went to Colombia and that's been our favorite country in South America. So we loved it so much that we ended up staying in uh, Medellin. And I'm sure you know it, Medellin, because it's a big digital nomad hotspot. And uh, uh, we kind of needed a break uh, because obviously when you're traveling a lot, um, you know, checking in, checking out, packing and packing, uh, that can, uh, you know, get quite tiring. You can face burnout. So sometimes you just need to check in on an Airbnb for a month. So we ended up staying in uh, Medellin for a month and uh, we did Airbnbs. We just did four Airbnbs. We did uh, one week in different uh, suburbs in Medellin, El Poblado and Lorelas and uh, Invigado, et cetera. And uh, that really helped recharge the batteries. It was about halfway through this one year trip and we we're like, okay, uh, take a break, recharge, just get to know the locals, uh, get work done. You know, obviously that's something important as well. Uh, having a stable Wi-Fi connection, that was really good. And then just making connection with the locals as an all too. So, um, yeah, that, that it's definitely good to kind of slow things down when necessary and then uh, get get the batteries all charged up and then boom, uh, you take it away again and travel. You really are a fast traveler. Here you are. You're like, oh, we settled down in Medellin for a month, but you bounced around to four different Airbnbs. For most people, they'd be like, that's so quick. And for you, that was like the longest in one spot, right? Um, which is pretty, pretty crazy. Talk about the the traveling with the kids because obviously you've done you've done both now you traveled quite frequently where by yourself and now you've been on ten months where you've had three kids. What have been the biggest differences? Like like what did you think was going to be the biggest differences and the and the biggest obstacles for traveling with kids? And is that how it ended up playing out, or were there things that you know you thought would be an obstacle and it was like no this is easy? But I never even thought of this situation. When we first started out, we had no idea what to expect. And kind of that's a scary thing when you don't know what to expect traveling with kids long term. Um, we thought it was going to be the most difficult for the kids. You know, we thought they're going to have uh, challenges. They're going to get sick. They're not going to like the food. They're going to be picky. They're going to, uh, you know, uh, not like travel. But we found the exact opposite. They're the ones who adjust really quickly because kids are very flexible and malleable. And they, uh, they can make friends easily. They can, uh, you know, adjust. They can sleep anywhere. For us, we struggle. Like uh, we're traveling in South America. And for those of you who are traveling, South America, you're going to be on a lot of long overnight bus journeys. Speaking of bus journeys, actually, uh, in about five hours from tonight, we're going to actually be taking about a 20-hour bus ride from San Pedro to Santiago. So obviously, these long bus rides, they're not good for me and my wife. We, My wife actually hates them. She's like, Ricky, can we fly this time? And uh, one of the other differences between me and my wife is like, she doesn't care to do overland journeys. She just wants to get to the place fast and comfortably, right? For me, I'm much more of an overlander. Uh, when we travel, I want to like look back at the map and say, 
we covered all of South America pretty much without flying. And we pretty much have covered from Brazil to here in Chile. We've hardly flown at all, maybe uh, two or three flights, just because we went to like the Amazon remote area, etc. Uh, but from here, we're pretty much going to go uh, around the loop of South America with very few flights. Um, so we found uh, the challenges are really to do with me and my wife. We struggle with the language. We are trying to learn Spanish and communicate with the locals, the culture. Uh, so those are the, the challenges. Uh, with the kids, uh, they, th- they, they fight. I mean, our, our kids fight a lot, just like they would back in our hometown of Vancouver, BC, Canada. They fight in the road. But I'd rather have them throw tantrums and uh, uh, do it in a beautiful place like Cape Town or like Rio de Janeiro or Santiago, Chile. Like, I know they're going to be uh, fighting just because of the maturity level they're at. Uh, you know, thanks to God, we haven't had major issues like with uh, with with safety, uh, with uh, health. Uh, you know, they obviously get s- sick every now and then. Uh, we were actually in the Andes just uh, in the last few weeks. We were in, uh, you know, Bogota was super high altitude, Quito was super high altitude, Cusco was super high altitude, and La Paz was super high altitude. So uh, me and my wife, we were having altitude sickness, resting, drinking cocoa tea, and my kids were like bouncing around like, when can we go out, daddy? When can we go explore? I'm like, hey, kids, we just need to recover from this altitude sickness and then we'll explore. But yeah, like uh, we, we have a little technique. Uh, I know some uh, parents will want to like know techniques. So we do a lot of walking tours pretty much in every city. Like the major cities will do these free walking tours where after the tour you'll give a tip. So we have a little technique that uh, we carry uh, like a, uh, a little bag of Skittles or some gummy bears. And if they're good, and, uh, you know, like if they do the walking tour without any major hiccups, we'll actually reward them. So uh, we'll be like, OK, if you get to that one, you can have two Skittles at the end. You can have a lollipop. So that's really helped with the, the historical stuff that the kids are not too fond of. Things like museums or churches or tours, et cetera. So that, 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 those are some uh, strategies, Travis. Yeah, I was going to ask you that. What, what's a way that you found, like a good way that you found for keeping everyone interested most of the time? Because you said you have a five, a three, and a one-year-old. And then, of course, you and your wife with different personalities. So you've got five distinct people with different personalities and things that they like and, and all of that kind of stuff. How have you found, like, is there a good way that you've done where like, all right, well, today is Ricky's day and we're going to do that. And today is like a day more for the kids and we're going to do that. And, you know, today's my wife's day. Like, have you broken it up like that? Or is there, or you have any rules or like, I guess, tips and tricks for that kind of stuff when dealing with five different personalities and people's opinions? Oh, that is, that's probably the hardest part because how can you please everyone at the end of the day? Because everyone has different interests and, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's definitely a, a challenging part. My wife needs quiet time and rest. So a lot of the time she'll just rest. And then uh, because we have the five, I'll try, uh, I'll travel with the two older ones. So like I'll take them around and my wife will hang out with the baby because she has to nurse the baby and uh, make sure he's fed and she just needs her rest. So uh, a lot of the times uh, she'll be resting and I'll do uh, the tours or I'll hang out the kids, babysit them uh, while my wife's resting sometimes we'll actually do date nights this is another little strategy for parents uh so on in in the midst of your travels or just in the midst of uh, life you definitely need, you need to do a lot of date nights and i'm sure you're going to find this soon travis date nights become far in between once you have kids and uh, th- this was a struggle we faced back in canada even though my parents were there i could we could obviously leave the kids with mom and dad whenever we needed to but st- still it would just uh, we get into the patterns and habits where you just don't do the things you're not you're supposed to do to nurture and we struggle with this with gym or eating healthy or sleeping well or a sex life or you know like uh, your date nights etc so what we what we found is like um finding people that can take care of our kids while we're traveling so we, we've been doing this while we're traveling sometimes it's like uh family members, sometimes it's friends that we know uh, uh, in the local cities, and sometimes it's the hotels. So we'll ask the hotels, hey, uh, you, me and my wife, we just want to do a date night, go to dinner. And uh, some of these like uh, third world countries, as long as you're willing to pay something, they'll find someone to help you. So uh, sometimes they'll be the hotel staff and they'll just say, okay, one of the staff members will hang out in the bedroom and just uh, you know watch with the kids, making sure they don't get in trouble, et cetera. And then we're able to do our dinners out. And sometimes all we need is a nice dinner out. Uh, and sometimes it might just be the hotel restaurant or just a restaurant a few blocks away. So uh, if something happens, obviously they can uh, come get us. But uh, that's been really good to have date nights when we're traveling. Um, um, and then obviously for the kids, um, you know, uh, they love uh, playtime. So making sure that they they can go to playgrounds. We don't do much screen time. A lot. This is another kind of dilemma that people have. We don't, we choose not to do screen time. And even though we do these long uh, bus journeys, they don't get screen time. We don't even have iPad. We don't download any movies or cartoons because if we did, 
we are relying on the technology to babysit them. But uh, you, you would be surprised how creative and versatile and flexible kids are. When they're buses, they'll, they'll figure out creative games, uh, you know, like uh, obviously like uh, the I Spy game or just like activities. We, we have some toys as well. Uh, they each have about three toys each. So and they just figure out games. And it's amazing uh, when we're on airplanes, uh, we'll do these little juice mixing games. And yeah, we just figured out. And uh, that's been a real good decision we made not to do uh, screen time. Uh, obviously, they will watch some stuff at the hotel rooms when we're staying there. But uh, for the most part, uh, not much screen time, Travis. That's really, really inspiring because I think a lot of times that's the default thing to do, right? Is to say, hey, we're going we're gonna to throw this iPad at the kid or the iPhone at the kid. And, you know, everyone has to make their own decision on whether they think it's a good call or a bad call. But especially for something like that, I want to hear a little bit more about this idea of 20-hour bus rides with, with three kids. And it's not like you're sitting on these awesome luxury buses just cruising down a flat stretch of the U.S. You're like up and down mountains and there's people over what has happened when you've gone on these bus trips like has it all been just okay or have you had any like really major blowouts where you thought like this is a bit crazy that we're taking our one three and five year old on a 20-hour bus ride through south america surprisingly there haven't been major blowouts in terms of like tantrums and stuff like that they do fight and uh, we have some uh, candy or some snacks and this is another big thing Distraction, distraction, distraction. When kids are fighting, when they're throwing tantrums, when they're not happy, you got to figure out a way to, to, to distract them. And you'll be surprised, uh, you know, on the buses and stuff like that, there'll be other kids. So they'll connect with other kids and they'll start playing with them. And the beauty of uh, having kids is that uh, it's like an instant point of connection. You don't actually need the same language. You don't need any uh, any 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 kind of like communication skills. You just need a kid-to-kid connection. So that's helped out. The, the thing with the 20-hour bus rides is they're not usually 20-hour continuous bus rides, right? That you do have stops uh, uh, for, for snacks and stuff like that. So those help when you, whenever there's a stop, you get them out, run around, they get tired, uh, and then they come back. And, uh, yeah, uh, you know, it, it's been good overall. They, they're usually able to just uh, chill out, hang out. Uh, a lot of the times the bus uh, movies as well. When we were in Peru and Bolivia, we actually traveled with it. We, we get a lot of sponsors when we travel as well. So we traveled with a company called Peru Hop. They sponsored a trip all the way from Lima to La Paz. So that was a great because finally, after months and months and months of Spanish movies, we finally had English TV and English movies. So big shout out to them, Peru Hop, for, uh, for that, uh, that, that part of the trip. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, there are challenges, but overall, they, they, they've adapted, I find. Uh, when we first started these bus trips, uh, the kids were like more um, antsy and they were getting um, bored and all that. But now they just get used to it and uh, they know, okay, they, we prefer them. We're like, okay, we're going to be on a long bus ride. Bring the toys you want. Bring the activities you want. And then they just get used to it, just like we all do, right? At the first, we probably don't like long bus drives and uh, you just figure out, figure out a way. That's an interesting point that you brought up, and I wanted to touch on that, of how their perception and their life has changed in these 10 months with around travel and what they can handle and things like that. What have you seen as some of the major differences in, in how their perception has been or their attitude has been towards traveling over these 10 months that you've been on the, on the Daddy Blogger World Tour? Yeah, so our kids have become very sociable. Uh, you know, back in Canada, like they would have their regular friendships, right? Like they would be in, a, they were in preschool back then. So they would have their regular friends and then, uh, you know, like play dates and birthday parties, et cetera. But especially my da- daughter, our daughter's the oldest, so she's kind of the leader of the kids, right? So she's become such a socialite, such an extrovert. And we're really uh, amazed that she's able to just talk to people so easily. Um, and um, like uh, we, we stay in hostels a lot. And this is another uh, a quick little point. When you think of a hostel, you think of like maybe people in their 20s or backpackers. But uh, nowadays, the hostel culture is very much more family conducive and, um, you know, like um, um, kid kid friendly. So we stay in a lot of hostels when we're traveling. And uh, I highly recommend families do it because you're going to save money, connect with, uh, you know, others and, uh, you know, um, just to have like a more of a community feel. When you're in a hotel, you're kind of locked in a a room. You hardly talk to any of the other people. But but the hostel culture, you get to meet uh, meet other travelers, uh, share stories, etc. So our daughters uh, become very much a a socialite and she's just talks to people out of the blue and just asks them questions. And uh, people are very amazed how how mature she is at five. And, uh, you know, a lot of people will ask this question, like, how does, um, how does uh, uh, travel affect kids? And is it bad for them? Or is it, uh, you know, going to stunt their growth? But actually, we found it's actually enhanced their growth. And uh, 
so generally, I think we, you and me know this, Travis, that travel makes us uh, more open, but uh, it, it definitely applies to kids as well. So yeah, uh, highly recommend it for kids. If you're, if you're wondering about kids and how it's going to help them, it's going to ha- definitely open them up, open up their mind, their heart, their spirit, their soul, ability to communicate, ability to learn, etc. Yeah, and you mentioned staying in hostels, and I think that's a fantastic point. Just having that, especially with kids, having that community feel, that more social atmosphere, or this thing that, hey, everyone's hanging out more. Not that if you stay at a hostel, you have to hang out with people all the time, but it is less of a isolated environment than a hotel. Do you have any types of like rules or norms that you follow with that such as like all right well if we do a week in a hostel then we're going to take two nights in a hotel to have our own downtime like but is there kind of a flow that you found whether that be with accommodations or the amount of travel fast versus slow that you're doing and you touched on that a little bit in Colombia of having time to recharge but is there anything else you found on a day-to-day basis that you kind of follow like a rule that's worked out well yeah, uh, typically with hostels and hotels, they have uh, much better locations. Uh, typically with Airbnbs, they're a little bit more outside. So what we find is if we're staying in a place for under a week, uh, then we'll do the hotel and hostel scene. Uh, and if we're staying in a place over a week, then we'll do the Airbnb. Uh, the other rule of thumb is like um, uh, with hostels, um, especially in more expensive areas, like uh, typically South America is fairly cheap, but there are more expensive parts of South America. Uh, particularly Brazil is very expensive, Argentina French Guyana because it's part of the French, uh, it's part of the European Union. So when we're in more expensive areas, we'll cut down on costs by uh, staying in uh, hostels. Also, um, uh, because we get sponsorships when we travel, um, we find that in more touristy areas, like in Peru, we're able to get a lot more stuff sponsored because they're much more conducive to bloggers and they're uh, much more, um, um, they're used to social media influences, et cetera. With some of the other parts of uh, South America, they're not as blogger friendly. Uh, so we have to also look at the costs, right? So if we're able to get sponsored stays and all, then, uh, uh, then, uh, then we have some money saved up for like, you know, splurging a little bit. Uh, staying in a hotel with a pool. And then sometimes we'll just look at like, uh, you know, special occasions, obviously, like birthdays. We'll stay at a nicer place. Um, you know, the kids like swimming. Uh, so if we can find a place with a pool, uh, we'll look there. And obviously we'll look at reviews on places like uh, Booking.com and, you know, Hostel World, et cetera, um, seeing uh, what other travelers have wrote about that place. So those are some of the, um, I guess, variables that will help influence a decision on where to stay, how long to stay, et cetera. Do you guys have a set budget, whether it be, hey, we're trying to hit this daily or at the end of the month, this is a monthly budget, or maybe you had a budget for the entire trip where you said, hey, we're going to spend over the 12 months this amount. Is there a budget and how, how close and strict are you with that? Yeah, you'll be surprised in places like South America. We can travel as a family of five for between 2000 to 2500 US per month, uh, depending on uh, whether the flight's involved, whether they're tours. And that number will influence, be influenced for you. For example, in Machu Picchu, it's super expensive. Uh, so you got to pay for, the, for that tour. And then when you're in Bolivia, salt flats, super expensive. Um, Brazil, again, super expensive. So then our budget will be higher, maybe pushing the 3000 mark. But in places like, um, you know, Colombia was cheap. Ecuador was cheap. Uh, Peru was cheap overall. Uh, Bolivia was cheap overall. Chile, we're finding a little bit more expensive. Um, Suriname, Guyana were uh, pretty cheap as well. So... Uh, it depends on the country, obviously. It depends on what we're doing. Um, a lot of countries, we're not doing a, a, lot, a lot of tours. Like sometimes we're just like hanging out in the city, uh, you know, connecting with the locals. And uh, uh, even though there might be tours available, like for example, here we are in San Pedro de Atacama, and there's a lot of tours. You can do uh, like desert tours and geyser tours and like this stargazing tours. But we just said, We'd already done two major tours. We'd done the Machu Picchu tour. We'd done the Bolivian soft flats tour. So let's just enjoy, chill out. So like here I am uh, before a trip doing some podcast interviews and getting work done because I know for the next 20 hours we won't have any Wi-Fi. So uh, yeah, you definitely have to like uh, look at the costs, look at the sightseeing stuff. Um, and obviously when we're getting sponsored, that helps out as well. Um, yeah, but it varies based on country to country. Um, but South America, for the most part, is pretty cheap. Asia is pretty cheap. Africa is pretty cheap. And obviously, then you have the three expensive continents, North America, Europe and Australia. So definitely depends on the continent you're visiting and uh, depends on your type of travel, right? Like if you're staying longer term in a place, if you're not flying, um, you know, you're definitely going to save money. Do you have any tips with that that you found that have really saved you mind? We talked about hostels. I think that's a great one. Anything else that you predominantly do to to cut costs that you don't think like maybe even makes your trip better or certainly doesn't take away from it? 
I would highly, 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 highly recommend people start a travel blog, not just because you can get free stuff. I'll tell you why we started a travel blog back five years ago. So firstly, I started the blog for processing what it means to be a dad, what it means to be a traveler, documenting the stuff. And again, because our kids are pretty young, they're not going to remember most of the trip. They remember the countries and kind of the big picture stuff, but they're not going to remember the details. And I mean, you and me, Travis, we're, a lot of, we're big travelers. And even us, we hardly remember a lot of the cities and you know the, the churches and the names of the monuments, et cetera, right? So a part of blogging is obviously good to process it, to document it for ourselves. And also for our kids, because then they have a kind of a legacy to live with. And then obviously to inspire others. And then there's this huge bonus of getting a whole bunch of free stuff. So we've got flights for free. We've got sightseeing for free. We've got hotels for free. We've got food for free. So that obviously cuts the cost. And also we get, uh, you know, income through uh, getting sponsored posts, uh, affiliate marketing, doing link backs, selling our projects and services on our blog. So uh, I, I highly recommend people, uh, if they're considering starting a travel blog, get it out there, get that travel blog going. Even if you're starting uh, writing about a, a local place, you might just start writing about the city you live in, the province of the state, and then uh, writing about domestic travel, and then, you know, international travel, and then boom, here you, here you are traveling around the world, right? So yeah, that would be one, my one big piece of advice is to start a travel blog. What about advice for parents who might not want to take a world tour or anything major, but but do just want to get out and travel with their kids more than they are doing already, but they're but they're kind of stuck in that zone that you were stuck in. Hey, I'm the suburban dad or mom. We've got the three kids. Like life is fine. Life is good from the outside. It looks great actually, but I'm just not getting out and seeing stuff. And again, maybe they're not the type who are ready to go on this, you know, one year tour, but they're at least want to get out and do more stuff. What type of advice do you have for parents for that to, to just get them started? There's a saying, think global, act local. So, uh, you know, typically a lot of people will do camping trips or road trips. So that is a good place to start. Uh, and then you obviously, uh, you start stretching your comfort level. And then I would say, uh, don't just uh, focus on Disneyland because a lot of parents are like typical Disney, Disney dads or Disney moms, like, okay, let's go to Disneyland and let's go to Disney world. And, uh, that's their vacation. Uh, I would say, try doing something maybe a little bit out of the ordinary, maybe do your first trip to Asia or your first trip to Africa or your first trip to Europe or your first trip to South America. Try, um, you know, like obviously if you're going to a place like Europe, it'll be easier because they're both Western countries, right? Uh, you maybe first try out an overseas English speaking country, right? Uh, maybe you're going to England because they're both English at least, or you're going to Australia, again, both English speaking countries. Uh, and then maybe, then you can start venturing out to like a non-English speaking country because uh, when you throw in the language variable, it changes the game dramatically because it's much more difficult with the language and stuff like that. But uh, I, I look at it like an exercise, right? Like travel is definitely a muscle and the more you work it, the easier it'll get, right? So uh, start local, uh, start provincially, statewide, and then, you know, domestically, and then try to do some international travel first with English to English countries and then English to non-English countries. And then soon you'll just feel it's travels a lot easier. Travel is a lot easier than you think it is. A lot of people think it's difficult or challenging. Uh, you know, there are challenges on the road, just like the challenges back home. I'd rather have these challenges on the road because, uh, uh, you know, you're going to have amazing experiences and challenges as well. But the experiences are the ones that are going to be really impacting your soul and your spirit and your family unit forever. So, yeah, definitely uh, yeah, highly recommend any and all type of travel anywhere in the world. I, I'm with you. It's You're dipping your toe in, in the water of travel if you haven't done a lot of it. And so people always say, oh, well, Trav, you must think like cruises are so lame or Disney World's so lame. Like you go this independent travel route and there's plenty of people who do crazier travel than me for sure. Uh, you know, there's people who do a lot of insane stuff that even would scare me or worry me. But I always say there's no right or wrong way to travel. You know, to me, if someone comes and say, hey, I've never even left my home state and I'm going to go on a cruise. Cool. That's one thing to start it. You know, that might not be my first choice now. Like you said, Ricky, we've kind of developed our travel muscle. We've done some of it. We've gotten better. That might not be my first thing that I want to do. But if that's the first thing, if that's what someone feels comfortable with and they're able to do it and they do that and then they come home and they say, oh, that was really cool. I saw this country for two days because I was on a cruise. Now I really want to go back and see Spain and do more of it. That's totally fine. And so I love that sentiment that you just gave that, it is like exercise. And if you're feeling comfortable just jumping right into the deep end, then then dip your toe in the water a little bit and, and that'll be fine. 
Yeah, definitely no judgment. Uh, you know, like whatever is good for you, then just do it. Like, uh, you know, cruise is amazing. Like we did a cruise for a honeymoon to Alaska. We loved it. And, uh, you know, tours are amazing too. Like uh, typically we don't do tours, tours as much, but sometimes you just need them. And it's really good uh, to, to learn from them because when we're doing it more independently, like we are, we're doing a lot of research. We're looking stuff on Wikipedia and, uh, you know, like we're, we're Googling stuff, we're reading about it. But sometimes it's good just to be sitting back and let every, someone else deal with the logistics of the transport and then uh, like. Like, uh, like I said, when we did the Peru hop, it was really good because uh, they were actually like picking us up right at a hostel hotel. They were dropping us up at a hotel or hostel. We didn't have to worry about where the bus station is. We didn't have to worry about bus tickets. So sometimes it's just good to have these uh, tours and all. And uh, sometimes that's how you start, you know. Uh, just the, the key thing is here is to start, right? It doesn't matter how you do it or where you do it. It's to start and then to, 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 to grow, to grow that travel muscle. Yeah, and you, you mentioned it before, you were able to recharge your batteries in Colombia because you took it a little slower. And sometimes those tours thrown into like an independent travel uh, trip that you, maybe you're independent traveling through most of the trip, they allow you to recharge too because you're not dealing with every th- part of it. You're like, hey, I get to go and just hang out for a couple of days. Someone else handle the logistics. This is pretty nice. So I'm with you. If you can throw those in or even if that's the whole trip, that that's totally fine. Do whatever you feel comfortable. And I want to just ask you because you've now been to, as you said, at 73 countries. So uh, you're, you're racking them up, you're checking them off, which is awesome. What are some of your favorite places that, that you've been to? You know, out of this whole trip, we absolutely love South, Af- uh, South Africa. Both me and my wife were amazed. That you've been there, right? Tra- yes. Yep. Yep. Only to Cape yeah. Town, which yeah. was incredible. So I can't speak for the rest of South Africa, but I will say Cape Town's probably my favorite city in the world. You know what? I think I would agree with you. Like my top three cities in the world are Sydney, Australia. I love Cape Town, South Africa, and I love Rio de Janeiro, uh, Brazil. But yeah, the Cape Town's amazing. But uh, South Africa, we didn't know much about it. We'd heard good things, etc. But uh, it is so diverse and it's so. Uh, it is very. It's, by the way, it's very family friendly. Uh, the people are very, uh, you know, welcoming towards kids, etc. Uh, it's also very affordable and cost uh, friendly. Uh, so good on the wallet. Uh, good if you're traveling from, you know, like Western country. Uh, the, you know, the exchange rates are amazing. And and uh, uh, there's so much diversity, everything from the animals, the animal safari, uh, the oceans, the wildlife, uh, the, the African cultures, the tribal cultures, uh, amazing cities, amazing cuisine. Uh, so we absolutely loved uh, South Africa. Uh, Cape, um, Cape Town was an amazing city, definitely. Um, Colombia has been amazing. We really like Dubai, too. It's just like this. Dubai is such a unique city because it's like one of the only cities where they want to be the biggest, the best. They want to have the fastest, the largest, everything. So they already have like the, the biggest, the, the highest, uh, the the, the tallest building in the world, the Burj Al Arab. Uh, sorry, the Burj Khalifa. They have the most expensive hotel in the world, the Burj Al Arab. The fastest roller coaster, Ferrari World. And they're always looking at uh, trying to make the biggest of the best everything. So it has a very unique architectural philosophy, which I haven't seen anywhere else in the world. So that's been cool. Uh, we, we really love um, Asia just because it's um, different and unique. Uh, and we love South America too because it's different and unique. Uh, so we are typically trying to uh, visit places that are very different than our home city and our hometown and a home country of Canada or, or, or for Western culture, right? So, uh, yeah, uh, I would recommend um, definitely South Africa. Dubai is great. And then we love Colombia. And you said you want to be the first family to go to every country in the world. So when I ask you, what, hey, what are places you want to go to? You could just like list off the next, whatever, 120 that you haven't been to. But do you have any that is specifically or at the top of your list where you're like, man, I'm dying to get to these few places? Well, you know, like if uh, since since I've been to like six continents, obviously the seventh continent is obviously the missing continent, right? So Antarctica, a lot. Of, you know, whenever I say I've been to like 72, 73 countries now on six continents, except Antarctica. Except Antarctica. Yeah, you want to stop saying, saying that, right? Yeah, you want to stop the accept, yes, right? Yes. Okay. Yes, exactly. So that 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 obviously uh, uh, makes sense to go there. Uh, but uh, as far as I know, they don't allow kids to go there just because of the uh, safety issues with hypothermia or the cold weather, etc. So that's going to probably put a, a barrier in going there right now, especially if we go with the kids there. Uh, but that's definitely on the bucket list. Um, you know, Galapagos, we'd love to go there as well. We decided not to go there this trip just because it was going to be a huge uh, you know, crunch in the budget. So we decided to skip that for now. I definitely want to do the Trans-Siberian. Uh, so the biggest country in the world is Russia. And I haven't done Russia yet. I've done, uh, you know, uh, oh, probably the top uh, seven to ten other biggest countries after that, you know, Canada, Brazil, uh, India, China, etc. But I've, I've mi- we missed uh, Russia, so I'd love to do the Trans-Siberian all the way uh, into um, Mongolia. 
And the other big uh, area we haven't done a lot of is Africa. We've only done um, South Africa. And before I got married, I did Egypt. That's uh, two countries, and there's actually 54 countries in Africa. Uh, so I'd love to do Africa as the next major continent. Yeah, like I said, I can cover all 120 right. countries now. But yeah, <laughs> definitely uh, the Middle East. I'd love to cover more of the Middle East and then Eastern Europe. So that would that will do it. <laughs> and then pretty much by then, once we do that area, that would be the 100, 193 is the goal. That's right. That's right. Awesome. Well, you've had a lot of travel, which means you've probably, if you're like everyone else who's come on this podcast, you've probably also had some mishaps. Do you have one that comes to your head as one of your biggest travel mishaps to happen to date? Yes, we did something really stupid. We arrived in uh, Cape Town and then we uh, tried to board the plane to Sao Paulo. And then when we uh, when we at the airport, uh, when we were about to check in, they're like, where are your visas? And then all of a sudden, uh, we got stopped. We couldn't board the plane. And uh, the problem is we didn't have visas. And quick little side note. So my, me and my kids, we're traveling with a Canadian passport. And my wife, she's on a permanent residency in Canada. She doesn't have a Canadian passport yet. She should get that in the next few months. But uh, she's been actually looking at the visa situation because like, uh, when we travel, um, usually she's the one who needs visa. So for, for, for Brazil, she actually didn't need a visa. She, she's like, okay, we're good. And I didn't check because uh, most of the time we don't need visas as Canadians. So then when we got to the airport, we about to board the plane. They're like, okay, your wife's fine, but you and the kids are not. You need visa. So all of a sudden we got stuck. So we ended up staying in Cape Town two more weeks. Uh, we ended up uh, getting our visas. You have to go to the embassy, uh, apply for your uh, visa, et cetera. Uh, and then we actually made it two weeks later to Brazil. So a big learning lesson here is definitely if uh, you and your wife or a partner are traveling in different passports, make sure you both check so you wouldn't be stuck like we were. So that was probably the biggest thing uh, in terms of like the mishap. We've had other ones like we've missed uh, a plane once and we've missed buses and, uh, you know, like sometimes the hostels screwed up a booking. We had issues with the, the tours in Machu Picchu and in the Bolivian salt flats. I'll share a quick one too. We were just in Bolivia at the salt flats. We booked a tour and they said it's going to be English speaking, right? Uh, so we're like, okay, we paid for the tour, got in the tour. And then the next morning uh, when we, uh, when the, uh, it was a Land Rover, a Land Cruiser, Toyota Land Cruiser, they came and picked us up. The driver didn't know any English. All the other people were like, there was an Argentinian and Colombia. They didn't know any English. And then they went to um, fill out the documents at this police registration thing. So we got off. We were like, okay, there's been a mix-up. We paid for a tour. It's all in English. And then the police got involved. They're like, okay, they got the, the owner of the company there. And then they finally got us an English-speaking guide. So, you know, sometimes you'll just get screwed over. Even though they told us it's going to be English-speaking, we paid and it was all documented. So sometimes you just need to get the invo- police involved. So that was a little bit of a mishap just that happened four days ago, Travis. So there are definitely more and I, I document some of them on our travels. Um, you know, as a digital nomad, obviously you need Wi-Fi. So that's been a challenge not having strong Wi-Fi. I highly recommend if people are coming to South America to learn Spanish before you come. Because you definitely need to speak Spanish here in South America. It's been a challenge without having Spanish um, and to communicate with the locals and to book buses and uh, eat at restaurants and stay in hotels, etc. Definitely need some Spanish. Awesome. I love that you are now the second Canadian that I know that has got turned away from going to Brazil because they don't have a visa. Unfortunately, my friend, they didn't check, actually got on the plane, landed, and they're like, where's your visa? And she's like, what are you talking about? Because she was traveling with a Dutch girl who didn't need a visa also, uh, same as your wife. And she got there and they're like, nope, you can't enter the country. Get on the next plane. And and she had to pick like, there's like four flights they gave her an option to go to. She's also from Vancouver. And I forget where she ended up going. None of them were going to Vancouver. So she had to go back to some other far-flung place to then fly home. So yeah, make sure you check your visas. Do as do as we say, not as we do sometimes, Ricky, because I've uh, I've definitely had some visa issues in the past as well. So funny story. Glad if you're going to get stuck anywhere, Cape Town, not a bad place to get stuck though, right? Exactly, exactly. Yes, there's lots to do. So we ended up exploring Cape Town. We went to the southernmost tip of Africa, Cape Agula. So it was actually a blessing in disguise because we ended up going to places we wouldn't have gone. So, And, you know, at the end of the day, I would say don't sweat the small stuff. Stuff like that's going to happen. And, you, you, like, my wife wasn't angry. I wasn't angry. We didn't blame each other. We just said, hey, we made a mistake. We learned from it. We're not going to do it again. And just move on and just enjoy enjoy the journey. Like, uh, you, stuff's going to happen and don't sweat the small stuff. That's that's great, great advice. What do you have coming up in the pipeline? So I know that you originally planned a 12-month Daddy Blogger World Tour. You're on month 10. I don't know if you have plans or not, but I want to hear what's coming up. Are, are you continuing the tour? Are you going back home for a bit? What's What's happening? 
Yeah, so uh, uh, we started our trip on December uh, 6th. That's our dream day. We call it a dream day because that's the day we uh, left uh, Canada to travel the world. Uh, so now uh, we'll be finishing uh, South America. Uh, we'll be doing from Chile into Argentina, Uruguay, finishing all 13 countries. Uh, our next big goal is to do Central America. So we want to do Mexico to Panama overland. But my wife's going to get what she wants. She's going to get probably like three to six months in a place. We're looking at um, San Miguel de Allende. Uh, SMA for short. Uh, it was voted the the best city in the world by Business Insider, and it, it, it's getting a lot of rave reviews. It's in Mexico, and um, it's a big digital nomad hotspot, and also a big hotspot for traveling families, uh, world schooling, homeschooling families. So we're looking at maybe selling there for three to six months, and if we like it, we might stay longer. If we don't, we can move. So uh, that, that's why I don't want to be committed committed to long term. But uh, we are we're looking at going there probably for Christmas and New Year's. And then once we're there, we'll make a decision on how long we'll stay. And then, yeah, the next part of our trip will be, uh, most likely it'll be from Mexico to Panama. And that'll be another, you know, eight countries off the list. And we're inching our way to the 100. And then once we hit the century mark, inching our way to the 150. And then 193, so that's a big goal. Um, yeah, but uh, I would say definitely uh, Central America's next on the list. So you're not stopping. You might be changing the way you're doing it. You might be slowing down in Mexico a bit, but you're certainly not returning back at this point to that suburban Vancouver lifestyle. Especially in December. <laughs> For <laughs> right. those of you who are watching and listening, uh, you know, the Pacific Northwest is a beautiful part of the world, but not in the winter. In the winter, unfortunately, for about seven, eight months of the year, it's raining, overcast, gloomy. I definitely don't want to be returning to there in December. So we love, we love Vancouver, by the way. But uh, usually it's in those sunny, hot months, uh, you know, like the, the June, July, August, September uh, time frame. So, yeah, I mean, our uh, home's definitely going to be Vancouver uh, because uh, my parents are there. I always, you know, where people say, where am I from? I'm from the world and I'm from so many different cultures because of my Indian ethnicity, my wife's Filipino ancestry. But at the end of the day, yeah, Vancouver's still home, but uh, uh, we definitely want to see the world. And uh, we're looking at more like basing ourselves. Like I'd love to like base myself in Dubai, travel around there, base ourselves in somewhere in Africa, travel around there, you know, Eastern Europe, travel around there. So we're looking at that model more. Um, but yeah, we'll see how it goes in the, the months and years to come. Yeah, and it seems much more sustainable that way, right? Like having a base in an area to explore off of rather than just continuing to bump, 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 you know, like quickly. It's nice to say, all right, we want to see more of Eastern Europe. So we've got a home base in Sarajevo for three months, four months. Now we can take weekend trips or, you know, week-long trips over to Croatia and Montenegro and down over to Albania. It just seems like a much more feasible way, especially to do it as a family. So I'm with you, man. Um, sounds like a great plan. And Ricky, I just want to say thanks for joining me today. Not only showing us like what's that it's possible to travel with kids, even young ones. So we got Renzo, who's like just a little over a year right now, but also giving us some great advice on on how to do it and serving as inspiration to all the dads and the aspiring dads and the dads-to-be like myself, who when this podcast comes out, will probably actually be a dad. So uh, just remind people one more time how they can get a hold of you. Where do they find out all the good stuff? Because you document, you are a awesome, awesome, meticulous documenter of the stuff that you and your family are doing. When I went to your site, I thought, oh my gosh, this guy is really organized and got it going on. How can they find everything that you're doing? Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that, Travis, but uh, pretty much every day of the whole tour from December 6th onwards, we've documented where we've been, which cities, even which hotels, what we've done sightseeing. So if people want to look back uh, at this journey, I, it's actually documented every since our dream day, the day we left Vancouver to travel the world and all the way until today and then uh, into the future. So check out daddyblogger.com. Uh, that's my website. We're actually quite active on social media, so you can follow us across social media. I have a YouTube channel, which hits 3 million views just last week. So you can check out our YouTube channel where we're video blogging, et cetera. I'm also, uh, you know, inspiring people to become digital nomads. So you can check out digitalnomadmastery.com where I do coaching. I do mastermind groups. I have a podcast with 300 guests, including Travis. He's one of the guests on our show. Uh, I have a summit on there. So uh, you can check out daddyblogger.com, digitalnomadmastery.com. And I love connecting with fellow dads, fellow dadpreneurs, fellow digital nomad dads. And I love to inspire you to travel the world as well. So thanks, Travis, for having me on your show. Definitely wishing you the best over the next few days and weeks with your upcoming delivery. And I, I look forward to connecting with you when the little baby pops out. And I hope our paths cross so our, our kids can become uh, you know, good friends as we travel. For sure, man. I, I really appreciate it. I think you're the first person to come to us from the country of Chile, if I'm not mistaken. 
mistaken. I think you're the first person to to beam in from from Chile. So glad that you got there last night safely and we were able to do the podcast and the internet held out for you. And I'm not running off to the hospital just yet. So all is well. So Ricky, thank you again for coming on. If you do want to get the show notes, we talked about a lot of stuff here. Ricky's site, easy to remember, daddyblogger.com, digitalnomadmastery.com. But everything that we talked about, and we'll link it all up in the show notes, that's extrapackofpeanuts.com slash shows. You can get this episode, all the 290 plus other episodes. You can find all that there. Don't forget as well, if you are traveling around the world, I recommend carry on only. We'll see how I do with just to carry on when I have a kid. We'll, you know, we'll see how that goes. But uh, check out tortugabackpacks.com. Use your promo code EPOP. That's E-P-O-P, all capital letters. I'll get you 10% off your entire order. Ricky, once again, thank you so much for joining us, taking some time out of your day uh, to come and beam in from Chile. We really appreciate it. Well, thanks so much for having me on your show. And, uh, you know, uh, happy daddying, happy fatherhood in the next few, few days and weeks to come. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. We'll catch you soon. Yeah, thank you guys for tuning in today for the continued support as always that makes us the number one radio travel podcast on iTunes. And until next time, happy free travels. I'll show you that.